Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's Tech Law 10 podcast. I'm Jonathan Armstrong. I'm usually in the UK, but this time I'm speaking to you from Toronto in Canada. My colleague Eric Sinrod is in the right place in California. And you tell me, Eric, you've been dreaming about pirates. Is this your, is this your recurring Johnny Depp dream, or is this something <laughs> different this time? <laughs> it's funny. I was just, just going to say, I feel like Johnny Depp. Uh, boy, we're starting. We're, we're like an old married couple now. We're thinking the same thought. It's, it's, it's fairly frightening now that we're and on. By how well. you look like him as well, Eric. I, I wish. I wish. <laughs> yes, now, now that we're well into our 100s of our podcast, we're, we're having a mind meld. Uh, but but yes, you're right. That's exactly what I'm thinking. And uh, let let's sort of rewind a bit to give this some context. The Pirate Bay. Uh, as a search engine can locate tiny information files known as torrents that implement content downloading on the BitTorrent peer-to-peer file sharing system. And the potential problem is that this can enable the sharing of pirated music, movies, and software. So Jonathan, as you probably know, as far back as January 2012, a district court in The Hague uh, commanded Internet service providers XS4ALL and Zigo to block the Pirate Bay. Obviously, the idea being to prevent this pirating. Uh, and as it turns out, however, the blocking at these two ISPs uh, has largely been circumvented by subscribers. So, so why are we talking about this? What's the, the recent development? Well, the recent development is that this particular block that was placed on Pirate Bay and these two ISPs by the Hague District Court was just lifted uh, by the Court of Appeals in The Hague. Um, And the Court of Appeals came to this result, uh, reasoning that the block was disproportionate for these two particular ISPs, and also, as noted, uh, it was generally ineffective. Uh, In fact, as as noted by the Court of Appeals uh, in this decision, um, rather than accessing the Pirate Bay directly, Subscribers have been going around and using proxy servers and are diverted to alternate torrent sites as well. And indeed, a report by the Institute of the Information, uh, the Institute of Information Law for Amsterdam University, found that downloading from illegal sources actually increased, not decreased, subsequent to the blocking having been put in place. So, as wrapped up by the Court of Appeal in its decision. The block, as it determines, uh, constitutes a violation of these ISPs' fundamental right of freedom of entrepreneurship, which is an interesting right. Um, uh, now, and one, one thing we should talk about is uh, you know, who brought this lawsuit. Um, the two ISPs in this particular instance were sued by, I hope I pronounced it correctly, maybe you can fix this, Brine, B-R-E-I-N. Do you know if that's the right pronunciation, Jonathan? It sounds right to me. We'll call it Brian. And that's a Dutch anti-piracy foundation that represents uh, Dutch copyright holders. Um, I, I should say, though, Jonathan, while the block has been lifted by the Court of Appeals as to XS for ALL and Zigo, the block still does remain in place as far as a few other entities, um, Tele2, KPN, and UPC. And that's because their cases haven't been heard yet. They're scheduled to be addressed in March. Um, yeah. At this point, uh, you might be wondering whether this is going to go any further. It's not clear, though, 
whether Brian will try to argue a misapplication of the law by the Court of Appeal to the governing Supreme Court. Uh, Brian cannot argue that the facts that already have been established uh, were incorrectly determined. They have to show to the Supreme Court uh, a true misapplication of law. And, and frankly, this um, could be a problem if Brian seeks review by the Supreme Court because the facts as now adjudicated indicate that the block that was put in place was not effective. So my sort of parting thought on this, Jonathan, and of course I'm interested in yours, although hopefully it'd be just like mine because now we know that we think identically at exactly. all times. Uh, you know, copyright law exists for a reason, and copyright holders' rights properly should be protected. You know, in this specific scenario, the Court of Appeal in The Hague determined that the block put in place with respect to these two specific ISPs was not warranted. But, and there's always a but, this does not rule out that the facts of another case might convince a court to go the other way. So, Jonathan, that all being said, let's turn it over to you, the better half of the brain, and see what you have to say. <laughs> Sorry, Khan. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure we've offended Dutch people with, uh, with the pronunciation. It's probably much more guttural, uh, but I won't uh, <laughs> a, a, attempt that, particularly since it's just after breakfast time here as well. <laughs> Um, but um, I, I, th I think that is interesting. I mean, to be honest, my um, my view of a lot of these uh, co copyright pieces of copyright litigation is is akin almost to King Canute and the Tide. Really, um, I think that people find ways to share content online, and it's a very difficult issue. Almost as soon as people think of ways to stop it, then the people who want to share content find another way around it. That's not to say that copyright owners should just give in and let, and let the tide roll over them, but they almost need to pick, uh, to continue the illusion, pick the bits of the coast they actually want to protect rather than think that they can just stand against the tide, uh, you know, wholly. It might be that the Dutch courts will reach a different decision within from the different ISPs, because if my knowledge of Dutch ISPs is correct, uh, I think some in the second batch that you mentioned are larger than some in the first batch. So it doesn't necessarily follow that the court would decide the same, because they might decide that a bigger ISP has more resources to do the policing. But in any event, I know that a number of uh, ISPs have found it burdensome to be looking for content like this, particularly when, as I said, the bad guys can mutate very quickly into changing how they offer content. So and we've talked about this before. People are obviously using uh, social media to distribute content now. So, you know, Twitter-style messages using different social media pointing to sites that are there one minute and gone the next. And the community of people who access content that way, uh, you know, will always be able to disseminate information almost quicker than, than, than those who own the rights being able to prevent it. So I think it's a long-term issue. And, of course, file sharing brings with it its own dangers for individuals. We see a number of cyber attacks that are predicated on the basis of, um, of, of people sharing illegal content. We see a lot of um, 
phishing type spam letters telling people that they have to pay up because they've been downloading illegal content. Obviously, if you've never done it, you can delete the letter or the email that you get safely. But if you have been um, been, been looking at content that's uh, been, been illegally copied, then you're vulnerable to that type of a social engineering attack. And then more worryingly, we have had this attack where people's computers have been locked, and there would seem to be possibly some correlation between these uh, ransomware attacks and people who uh, go and get uh, 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 content from the uh, unauthorized source. So it's a big problem, and I think uh, it's hard to determine what the answer might be. I know for many, they say that legitimate content owners have got to understand the new reality and make it easier for people to download content uh, legitimately and more cheaply. And perhaps through evolution, that's where we'll end up. But uh, I guess along the way, we're going to find painful cases like this. And we're also going to get courts, I think, follow this Dutch trend, uh, Eric, of uh, looking at the consequences of these absolute bars on file sharing and what that means to other people that are in the in the chain of supply. So I agree, it's an interesting development and one that we should watch. So you've proven once again that you truly are the superior half of the brain. And not only that, you have the wonderful, uh, wonderful British accent to go with it. Uh, but again, you were reading some of my thoughts as well in that you know, I was thinking about this and sort of the notion of the cat chasing its tail. You know, I think about you know, cybercrime and how you have the black hats who are out there sort of trying to wreak havoc on the internet, you have the white hats trying to prevent it, and as soon as you know, there's a solution or a fix that's achieved, the black hats just move ahead and come up with another way to create mischief and potential harm. Um, well, my last question I have for you is, what do you think of this notion of the fundamental right of freedom of entrepreneurship? It's something like a very interesting notion. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and um, and maybe that's perhaps a um, I, I can almost I, I can almost hear the phrase being said in a Dutch accent. Um, yeah. I don't think it's something that we would recognise necessarily in the UK. You know, we have things like you know, as you know, in the UK we take freedom from uh, slavery very seriously, and and it's not to undermine. The U.S.'s efforts, but that's something that we, uh, you know, we recognised as a as a wrong far earlier than than you did in in the U.S. And that underlies a, a lot. I might of, beg to I might beg to differ on that in a second. You might, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that underlies a lot of what we do in even in things like uh, restrictive covenants, employment contracts, and so on and so on. So I, I think even that freedom from slavery concept might almost equate in a strange way to this uh, right to be an entrepreneur. Um, but equally, uh, I, I don't think that overrides the right to do things lawfully. So, so, you know, you don't have the right to be a drug dealer because that's being entrepreneurial. Obviously, in the Netherlands, that's different too. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but, but I think it's an interesting concept. And, and I think uh, as people move from being uh, employed to self-employed, then I think we might well see these concepts become recognized more uh, uh, across yeah. the world as well. 
No, very interesting. You know, obviously we have in our U.S. Constitution you know, guarantees of the right of freedom of speech, and there's certain you know protections about you know due process and and those types of things. But we don't have in our U.S. Constitution a fundamental right to freedom of entrepreneurship. Of course, we have the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and maybe that would somehow include the right to you know go forward with your business as you see fit. In terms of your one point, I'm taking an interesting history course right now, and it talks about how uh, as part of the slave trade, a number of people in the Liverpool area actually benefited and uh, were in, involved and uh, amassed a certain degree of wealth in terms of participating in that. So they weren't actually directly employing slaves, but they benefited from the trade. So, you know, there's a pox on many houses, and you know, of course, oh. it's a dark time in history, and we're glad it's not present any longer. Yes, no, that's absolutely right, and uh, and and I didn't mean to trivialise that at all. I mean, I think the uh, there were there were um, there was uh, you know strong people on both sides of the Atlantic that spoke up against slavery. Mm, yes. Anyway, all that being said, we're probably we've over got our to a 10. different destination from where we started up, haven't we? It's a stream of consciousness with both sides <laughs> of the brain pinging, pinging off of one another. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is what happens. But anyway, uh, we we thank you for joining us this week. I hope, we found this, hope you found these various topics, including this one podcast, interesting. Do continue to contact us and let us know of other matters you'd like us to address. I'm Eric Sinrod in the San Francisco office of Dwayne Morris. You can find me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. As you know, we're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Glitter, Flitter, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, and the like. And as I made that mistake before, and like we always do, because Jonathan has the better accent, he will wrap it up and bring us home. Well, that's very kind, Eric. Thanks for your kind comments. And um, thank you also for listening to us. We'll be back uh, in the same place quite soon. Um, We're always delighted to hear your suggestions for topics. We've got a few in the pipeline. If you're uh, in Toronto and you're coming along to the uh, events that I'm speaking at this, this week, do come up afterwards and say hello. We always like to meet people who listen to these face to face. All that remains is to thank you for listening. I'm Jonathan Armstrong, J.P. Armstrong at DwayneMorris.com. As Eric says, you can find us in the usual social media outlets, and we look forward to speaking to you again next time around. Bye for now. Cheers.